Welcome back to Talkie Talk, guys. Hey, guys. Today, we're recording on Zoom again, and um, we just encourage everybody to boycott Zoom. We'd like to thank Zoom, our, our audio provider. Thank you very much for making this possible. All quality is a result of Zoom and Zoom Enterprises. I don't think that you know we need to boycott it because of the data mining that the Chinese government is doing or um, the way that Zoom is supporting the suppression of the Hong Kong protests. I just like the audio quality. So you guys thought we were going to be talking about movies, but uh, we gave you a little red herring. We're actually going to be talking about politics completely during this podcast. And speaking of red herrings, this week we watched Under the Silver Lake, directed by David Robert Mitchell and starring Andrew Garfield. And, and we also watched- And we watched Knives Out, written and directed by Ryan Johnson, um, starring Daniel Craig and everybody else in Hollywood. Um, yeah, pretty so much. So Knives Out- the IMDb, I actually like the IMDb descriptions, typically. They're very, I have an issue, especially with Prime Video, that the descriptions just give away the whole movie. Mm. So I just don't look at them anymore. Um, but IMDb just like barely gives you any information, and I like that. Um, so Knives Out is a detective investigates the death of a patriarch, keyword patriarch, of an eccentric, combative family. Yeah. That, I mean, and yours? That was Sounds about right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Under the Silver Lake, and, uh, I, I am reading from Amazon movies, but I don't think it will end up spoiling much, <laughs> I imagine. A man tries to find the parties responsible for his beautiful neighbor's disappearance, unraveling a string of crimes, murders, and bizarre coincidences in his East L.A. neighborhood. So, yeah. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> That about, I, yeah, I suppose that sums it up. I would not say that isn't a summary of the movie, but... I mean, the movie just isn't um, Real. about anything, so it's hard to, to summarize it. What did you think of Knives Out this week, I Tyler? I, um, Knives Out was entertaining, um, a little long for, I feel like, what it was, but uh, I, I enjoyed it to an extent. <laughs> Except for whenever it sh had some, any social commentary was pretty eye-rolly. Uh, there were a few moments especially, but uh, Daniel Craig with the Southern accent definitely came in and uh, saved it for me. And uh, yeah, what did you think of that? Um, I didn't like it. I didn't think it was horrible, but I have to agree with you with, I think it's a stretch to call it social commentary. Um, <laughs> we can get more in depth about this, but... There were, they were comments. There were lines yeah. that referenced happening. Yeah, it's comments versus commentary. I think in this movie and in his previous movie, um, The Last Jedi, he doesn't so much he doesn't so much comment. He doesn't so much provide commentary as he does just point to something and then move to the next thing. That's my thought. It definitely is. It's it's a, it's an improvement Since from the Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. I mean, yeah terribly low bar so um, good job. yeah i thought it was it was pretty boring um but daniel craig was good i liked him yeah he's i feel like well we'll we'll get into the accents but i have a few things to say yeah. about accents in this movie but i love how daniel craig almost didn't seem like he really cared much about how accurate or like how fluctuating his accent was throughout the whole thing i feel like in some scenes it was wildly different than it was in the previous scenes Oh, yeah. I love. I think he was <laughs> just balling out. You know that one yeah, episode. You know that one episode of The Office where they do a Who Done It mystery game, and they all just yes. try to do. Uh, yeah. And and yeah. Oscar tries to do 
a um, southern accent, but he's his heart's just not in it, so it's just so terrible, and he's embarrassed the whole time. This was a little bit there like has that. Been a murder. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what you think about Under the Silver Lake, so I, I want you to give your opinion on that first. Yeah, I'll. Um, I liked it even less than Knives Out. I got. Oh. I got to give it to you, Tyler, for always making me appreciate other movies with the uh, movies that you pick. Interesting. I appreciate that about uh, you, Tyler. Yeah. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory, so I won't ask you to go into more detail on that. And that's the podcast. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for. Uh, All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Um, yeah, I just finished that movie. It was just so. Um, <laughs> you're like looking down. I'm just trying to think of the like words. Me like bad news. It's like I am sort of giving you bad news screen right now or something and you're just you can't tell you can't bear to tell me what you're gonna say i thought it was just a whole lot of nothing um i thought there were good parts i thought it was just a mess that's what not so much nothing but it was just a total mess you want to start with it because i think we're already kind of getting into it i feel like we might as yeah well. i just watched it so i might as well okay um yeah i will i'll continue that thought then there are a lot of moments where i felt like there was David Lynch inspiration. I think that was clear. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of him. My, my buddy Dave. Uh, he's he's yeah. made a couple Is things. Is he like Derek? Is he like what? Is that what Derek calls Dave? himself? Yeah. No, it's my friend Dave. Uh, um, shout out to Derek, by the way. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Thanks for listening, Derek. Derek. Our one listener. Um, but I think it just missed the mark completely. I was wondering if it was supposed to feel stilted um, in, the ways, in the way that a lot of David Lynch's projects do. I think, yes. There are some pretty clear direct influences from Twin Peaks. The symbol of those two diamonds looks very similar to um, the Black Lodge symbol in Twin Peaks. I believe it's the Black Lodge symbol. Um, I'm going to send you a picture, Tyler, just so you can see what I mean. But the, okay. the logo is basically a diamond with two half diamonds behind it, and it looks like an owl, which also is a big uh, thing in this movie. So I think it was there. When I saw the symbol, I thought, okay, yeah, he's, that's what he's trying to do. Was it ran and directed by the same person? I don't remember what you said. Um, well, check IMDb. Amazon doesn't say. Take a look. I'm imagining it probably is. I got, uh, I got that feels, sense that he didn't have enough. It's actually, it's directed by the same guy who made um, It Follows, which I, yeah, it's, it's written by David Robert Mitchell too. I, I, haven't, I think it's I a really interesting. It Follows. Oh, really? I don't think so. What was that one? It's a really interesting, um, to, uh, you know, not sequel, but it's an interesting partner piece to It Follows because It Follows is similar. It has that like A24 style. I feel like a lot of A24 movies have, but um, it, it it's like a very contained story. Whereas this one feels like, you know, David Robert Mitchell made his statement or like made his movie in the movie that can kind of prove he can make movies. He did the directorial debut thing, and then he was like, all right, I'm going to just fucking wile out with this one, and I'm really going to go for it. And I have to give him props for that. He definitely went mm. for it. Um, oh, wait, Tyler, the, the symbol I sent you is like a GIF, which isn't... Um, okay. It's the very first frame, get, though. Yeah, I think I'll get the idea. <laughs> it, all, it all makes sense right. now. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What? With this GIF, I, I think actually Under the Silver Lake makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say with that? the understanding of i mean just there's a lot of like geometry and under the silver lake and a lot of how geometry kind of overlays with how we you know view things in life with the double maps and the thing on the with the hobo code and the the you know the layouts of houses and the different parties it was just i didn't think it meant anything and now that i see this gif that is clearly borrowing from twin peaks i think it's 
it kind of all links together. I don't know if this is a joke or not. I'm glad we have that. No, I, I definitely liked it, I think, more than you did. I think that it I, I think that it's one of those hard movies to really critique because I think that it kind of gives itself a carte blanche by just being like, well, under not unreliable narrator, unreliable mentally ill narrator who's high and drunk all the time. And I feel like with that setup, you can explain away so many things. Like I could imagine a very foppish film student being like yeah well it's not supposed to make sense so <laughs> you didn't really get it i agree and but... that's why i really disliked it um <laughs> well i see go ahead i i felt like with some moments i really enjoyed um a lot of stuff that seemed to go nowhere like i liked some of the i mean i got the feeling that it was supposed to feel like very schizophrenic and the way that they linked some things together like when that girl dies in the lake and it's the same image as the playboy magazine i don't like that. Mm, i didn't notice that yeah see i i like that that kind of doesn't really mean anything but i feel like it puts us in his mindset where like you see that image in it and it links for you and you search for something to be there and there isn't anything there and that worked for me but then in, that works for me not thematically so much as like putting me in the character's mind. And I think thematically is kind of where this movie suffers the most because it definitely ends up with a few things it wants to say. And I think it actually says one of them, if not like two of them that it's going for pretty well. But I feel like there's just so much fluff in a movie where it's not even like plot fluff because there's really not too much of a plot, but there's a lot of like thematic fluff that I feel like didn't do much. That's how me. I felt about that entire movie, pretty much. I agree with you to an extent. I, I definitely think it was purposeful. Um, and going back to what I was saying about the David Lynch uh, influence while missing the mark, um, you still haven't seen Mulholland Drive, right? Okay. No. I think you should watch that movie. Because um, okay. if you like this, then you like that one a lot because it's similar approach, but way better. Um, it's a similar this movie took this like the structure and approach to that but didn't really find what made it work um i think in mahal and drive without going into much too much detail there are a lot of moments that are sort of um that are very disjointed and don't make sense in a literal fashion but the themes it explores are pretty consistent it's just these different tangentially related um moments that make this picture that's more about uh, you know, this is day alleged thing more about the the feeling of it than the logic of it the literal logic um mm. and there still is a plot as well in that movie but it's it's that it's that pop surrealism that people talk about with david lynch um i think blue velvet as well has that approach somewhat but again that like there, there's parts of that movie that don't make sense but it still all comes together it still all works together and i think still feels cohesive whereas this movie felt like it was all over the place it felt like season three twin peaks which i know a lot of people love but i really disliked because it it felt like this um just a hodgepodge ask the viewers to tell us what they think about season three of twin what do you guys think we're gonna do a little more audience involvement uh these days we're gonna that's a lot of your feedback we saw on the twitter (laughs) poll that we sent out last time was more audience um yeah, um, entertainment. So there you Send go. us an email at talkytalkcast at gmail.com and let me know what you think. AOL.org. <laughs> oh, that's actually our email, though. You can send us an email there. Um, season one and two of Twin Peaks are great. Let me put that out there. And they work because there's elements of surrealism, but it all works together. Twin Peaks season three is all over the map, just a bunch of fluff. It just seems like with, with this, 
every thought that this dude had, he was like, oh, that's genius and put it in and then didn't pare it down at all. That's what it feels like to me. See, that's, that's what, that's what I find uh, as slightly infuriating about this movie is that. I think infuriating because, is a great word for it. Yeah. I, well, I, I honestly, I, I really enjoyed it actually, but I do find that it's one of those movies that again is like it, it's set up allows for just a bunch of ideas to be shoved into it because it doesn't, because it kind of has this setup of this completely unreliable narrator and an unreliable like uh, point of view that you're viewing it through the whole time. You can't technically say that one thing that's involved with it feels more relevant than the other because the whole thing kind of dabbles in this idea of irrelevance anyway. But I will say that, but that's not in defense of it. That's what annoys me about it. Okay, I, I see. Feel like, I see. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. Um, I think you said you can definitely still. I know what you're saying that it, it sort of sets itself up to try to be immune to criticism because, like you said, like some. And I, I haven't seen his other movies, but it felt like there's a lot of ego in it. Where, like you said, well, it doesn't have to make sense because that's the whole point. But um, I don't think it's done effectively where it's still compelling for us. Um, a movie that I think does that idea of meaninglessness and um, like a, a constant struggle to find meaning and purpose um, is Zama. And that's a similar movie where a lot of it, the theme of that movie to me, spoiler alert, is um, pretty absurdist in that the whole movie he's searching for meaning and never finds it. And it's a tough theme to do well, I think. And I think this movie tries to do it and fails because it's it doesn't it doesn't give you much to hold on to with that and takes way too long to get to that point too. Yeah, I don't I don't agree completely that I feel like it fails. I think that there is actually a good movie that is stretched out too thin because there's just so much shoved into it. And I think there are moments when the moments that I found myself enjoying it the most was when I could see where the protagonist is getting these schizophrenic connections from things that could in reality be happening. Like the point where he beats up that guy, um, the Jesus guy, and he's like, what, like, what does this mean? Like, where, where, where the, why is there a message hidden in the song? And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. They just gave us songs to record. And that's like, I, I like moments like that because there's a couple of them where like, these are all things that could happen in real life. Like the same thing with the scene that he's following the girls and they stop to talk and then the board changes numbers and then they leave it's like all this happenstance like has to have a connection in his mind and i think in in moments that work like that in the movie they work really well for me and i really ended up enjoying that and i liked seeing those numbers come back later when he was doing like the pizza box puzzle too trying to figure out what was going on but then when i when it didn't work for me I think my least favorite part of it was the uh, like homeless king segment when yeah. they went full, full, not real. Because <laughs> I was just like, what makes this compelling when it is compelling is when what you can grasp as what the protagonist thinks and what you can grasp as like what's probably really happening mixes and you can see where the interpretation that he makes fills in the blanks. But when it goes to like the Homeless King segment, I'm like, see, now you're kind of cheating because this just feels like a complete hallucination. Like it doesn't feel like realistic schizophrenia situation where like things did happen and then in were interpreted like incorrectly and then led to like a falsification of reality. It's like, this is just not real. And, like, yeah, I, well, it's, it's, I don't 100% know 
if that what he, if if that's what he was going for though with having the character be schizophrenic or going back to David Lynch that hallucinogenic um schizophrenic dreamlike reality is the objective reality and these things happen within it and it's not this question of oh okay so what's really happening what's a dream what's hallucination it's just all one thing and it's all what the reality is i couldn't quite tell if this one was trying to do like his movies especially uh, maholland drive is the main one i'm referencing right now um i think there's some of that in blue velvet as well um and Twin Peaks and his other stuff, but um, that movie especially, the objective and subjective realities sort of meld, and there's no difference between them. And there isn't this, right. there isn't this like, oh, like what's what is real and what isn't real. It's just all, it's just all what is happening because those, you know, that's that's a big part of surrealism is it is the reality. But this, I couldn't quite tell. I mean, the clear Lynch influences made me think that maybe he was trying to do. Um, something similar but then there's a lot of pieces too where it did feel like he was just schizophrenic and because he's so unstable um and we only see it through his perspective really Mm -hmm. so i did have that feeling i was going back and forth i was like i don't know if you're trying to just do that like half surrealist sort of thing or if you are trying to do this objective versus subjective reality i think it probably was that and i think works less because of that for me in a way because it felt like he was half in half out with it See, I, I liked it much more at those parts where I feel like, especially with the setting of, of so many of these like Hollywood parties where there's all this influence of drugs and all this like hoity-toity kind of just like, um, you know, um, like turning like symbolism into like a caricature kind of where everyone's dressed up at these parties and the guy's wearing a women's blouse and the girls are like, welcome to purgatory. And that woman's walking around with like balloons on her, like, that didn't feel abrasive to me because it felt like this is the perfect setting for this to work in because it's kind of lampooning this idea of like this like highly artistic kind of you know group of people who are always you know flaunting this idea that like they're on the cutting edge of you know what is uh you know they're, they're just having fun with it but it doesn't mean anything you know and i thought that worked really well because i felt like it worked really well in the commentary of hollywood and like this feeling that like it's trying to like pull dreams into reality like it's trying so hard to make fantasy out of reality that's what i felt like with all those things of like the the like the the scene at the place where everyone plays chess too i was like oh, i love that because it's such a like asshole rich person thing to do or it's just like yeah this isn't what people normally would do. We're all going to get together and play chess because that's what that's what we. I do found now. that funny <laughs> too. I there were some moments I liked and that I genuinely did laugh out loud at. That was one of them. Where his friends just like, oh yeah, they had these parties where they just play chess and have girls, and it's just like they're <laughs> they're trying to act refined, but they really are just still like these relishing in the power yeah. and um, sexual obsession that everybody else is um yeah but, i really no, you got, you got, yeah i was just gonna say on the idea that it's like lampooning that i felt in some moments like it was satirical i felt like in some moments it was satirizing those quirky weird indie movies and then at other times it was just one of those and i it was hard for me to really yeah, what, pick out what was a commentary and what was just him being self-indulgent like it was making fun of self-indulgence or satirizing it, but that also really felt self-indulgent itself. Which which parts did you feel like were self-indulgent? I just think the overall approach to it felt really self-indulgent. 
like we were saying, it was just like so many different ideas. And to me, I really did get that sense that he was just, he just thought every little piece was a, was gold and didn't, didn't um, take the time to focus it or refine it. And that's what felt self-indulgent about it is I'm just going to have this movie where it's all this stuff and it's, I'm going to make it difficult to criticize because I can just say, oh, well, it doesn't have to make sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's me projecting onto this director, but, um, or writer, you both, right? You said he did both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It just, it didn't feel like there was much to latch onto. And I think that can work too, that movies can um, take that approach of not making sense, but making sense with the emotional logic and making sense within its own world, um, like Mulholland Drive and Upstream Color. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, uh, no, I haven't. That's another... That's the guy who made Primer, right? Yeah. yeah. That's another good one that I think is even, um, like, way further into surrealism than what Lynch does. But it works great because it's consistent and you understand that that is just how that world works. Mm. And this, I, like I said, it felt half in and half out. I didn't, I couldn't quite get a handle on it. And just the scenes themselves, and, and I, I didn't really give a shit about what was happening. There wasn't much like, I didn't feel like it t- took me on any journey, even from an emotional standpoint. It just kind of felt like things were just happening and then it was over. Yeah, it's funny because I completely agree with that, but I do feel like it actually uh, worked for me a little bit. I I do feel as though there's just a little too much. Like there's just a little, I think the stuff with his mom worked. I didn't so much care about the part with the, they bring in his ex like 30 minutes to 20 minutes before the end to have her like introduce him to this fiance. And I was just like, I don't know. I didn't really need that. It didn't really add too much more to, to his character for me. Especially because it's, you know, I mean, I think you can really bring in a, a details about a character at any moment in the narrative, but it just felt as though it didn't make me empathize or sympathize with him anymore because he already was so downtrodden and the interactions with his mom, I thought worked really well just because they were so brief. And so you, they, I felt like they really communicated their relationship really well in, in those few seconds and it made him feel like such a, you know, such a, a bum and and I felt like, okay, I know who this character is. And when they did that section with the ex, I was like, didn't really do much for me. And then I feel like in that scene, that last scene with the homeless king, when that kind of turned out to be his whole emotional crutch, kind of was the fact that like he couldn't get over his girlfriend. And I was like, I'm not sure how much I felt that throughout this movie. I didn't really feel like I that. took that as, um, I forget her name, but the girl that he's look- looking for the whole time, she had a dog and he was giving the dog that dog treats. So I took it as that, yeah, as that he was holding on to that girl with the treats. I didn't yeah, think I it was sure. his girlfriend. It was unclear. I was a little, at first I thought the same thing. And then I thought back and I thought, okay, he gave her dog treats. Yeah. It's funny because at, I, at first I thought he was talking about Sarah. And then I was like, no, because then this feels like he's, he's like crying and like, you know, letting himself be vulnerable for the first time in this movie. It feels like this is supposed to really mean something. And so I, I felt as though it was supposed to be his girlfriend. I mean, I don't know. Who, it's possible, I'm not sure yeah. which one it was supposed to be. But the way that it was so, felt like it was so huge to his character, it felt like it was supposed to be something bigger than that. But I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I, I liked, um, 
I thought it it actually dealt with like the idea of Hollywood pretty well. I I just don't really like I like the end of the movie, but I just didn't like it felt like it was a different movie. Uh, I feel like it, it needed that that transition from the stuff that I felt really worked, where it was that mix of reality and surreal, and the parts that I didn't like with the Homeless King that were just full-on weird. It just, it, it felt like to get to that climax, it utilized too much of that full-on nonsensical stuff and felt like it kind of cheated its way to this moment that still worked enough for me. But but didn't feel like it was attached to the same movie anymore. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that I mean that does make sense to me. I think it did feel like that in this movie. Coming back to Mulholland Drive again, I don't want to. I mean, you should just watch it. I think you'll like. But you it. do want to. Um, <laughs> I just I mean that movie is an entirely about Hollywood too. This movie just kind of feels like a poor man's Mulholland Drive to me. That's what a lot of the um, reviews said on it. Oh really? I didn't look at any of them. That's funny. Oh, the Amazon reviews on this are like anywhere from zero to 10. There's so yeah, many different reviews. It's so funny. But I think that is, I think when you watch Mulholland Drive, you'll you'll see that more. Um, right. Because there is, like I said, though, the difference with that movie is it follows multiple characters and they are all in that sort of unstable world. So you get the feeling that that's just the world. That's how it works. Um I think mm-hmm. the reason that it was unclear in this one is because only he is in that world and he's a little too, um, I feel like other the, other people's reactions to him are a little too, uh, it seems like they think he's just tapped and only he's in this world. So it does seem like it's a subjective yeah. interpretation of it. So I think when Mulholland Drive goes from these sort of grounded scenes to full on surreal, I think it works better because we're already, we already kind of buy that that's what that world is like and it makes sense. This, I will agree, it just felt, it felt like they decided to go full metaphorical because they didn't know where to go with it. That's another thing I felt like in this movie was just, it wasn't planned at all. And he just kind of, I think he kept, um, and again, I have no clue. I'm really just projecting this onto him. But he just like kept having writer's block and then was like, uh, just throw this in and just kept going and going and didn't have this overall uh, structure to it in the beginning, Um, which obviously like, you should have some flexibility with that and everything, but it just really did feel, it felt disconnected. Every part of it for me felt really disconnected. And I do think there were good moments. I don't think it was across the board, just a terrible movie, but it just really missed the mark overall for me. Yeah, I think, I kind of disagree on the, although I haven't seen Mahal and Drive, I do think it's a piece of shit though, Um, (laughs) but. (laughs) Anything that's popular can't be good. (laughs) But, um. I, I thought that really setting it in Hollywood was a um, was actually a pretty good decision with the idea of like, again, I think I'm really just kind of really going after this idea of trying to make that surreal stuff, you know, evolve out of the real world. But all this stuff that is happening around him I, with all these like lavish parties that are just this onslaught of like meaningless symbolism that people are kind of just indulging in, it, um, it, it feels like... I feel like that connects really well with how his character's like odd kind of schizophrenic view of the world is is like developed and kind of being, you know, like ushered on by these things around him because these people around him are, are like, I think it, it, to me, it feels like they're playing the parts they feel as though they're supposed to be playing to like evolve in this Hollywood world and like you know move up and like keep trying and they'll get better parts or they'll meet the right people or something but he's like no there's more to it because people wouldn't just act like this <laughs> yeah i can <laughs> and so that's interesting 
I think you're right. Um, yeah, because that's something I also went back and forth on um, was just what the purpose of the plot was thematically. And I, I did get this feeling that a lot of this really um, like visceral sexual imagery and um, this need for mystery, and this is pretty plainly commented on the mystery aspect, that people seek out mystery to make things more interesting because there's not much mystery left. But I think especially the sexual aspect of it, um, which is there a lot, especially with the protagonist just masturbating constantly, which I don't, I don't know. Um, but that was, that was one of those moments that it's like, oh, we're an indie movie, so we're going to show a guy's butt and he's going to jack off a lot. <laughs> That's what that felt like. Um, but yeah, like having all the advertisements be super sexual and trying to put a meaning behind that, that it's somebody from up top trying to influence people, where I think this movie is arguing that it's, that's just an urge and we're just trying to assign higher meaning to these human, like egotistic sexual urges. Um, but I don't know, like the ending, I sort of, I took the ending to be, I was thinking of it as, okay, this is just all reality. There isn't a subjective and an objective reality, but talking to you and going back through the movie where there are those moments that other people are reacting to him. I think you're right about it being a schizo sort of thing. So my initial interpretation of the ending was that it went all the way to the top, but these people were just as ridiculous as he was and didn't have something. They were just tapped and they're just creating these symbols for nothing just because they think it's interesting and, and they just had some crazy mindset that really wasn't super damaging to the world at large. It was you know mm -hmm. the prostitutes that they basically forced to um, be buried with them, but didn't have an impact like it did go all the way to the top so to speak but it didn't really have an effect or matter that much it kind of like stayed at the top yeah right and way. they were just disseminating these symbols to feel powerful yeah see i really enjoyed the ending scene um with him his conversation with sarah I, I actually thought that really worked for me in that I really like scenes when uh, characters are kind of talking to themselves through someone else, like kind of in like they, you know, those scenes where you really, they realize like they've been projecting the entire time, really. And that yeah. he's kind of trying the whole movie to find out why, um, you know, her life was ruined. In, in this like by this world that they live in and he's trying to like figure out like okay why would this happen to somebody who just was like this nice girl with a dog right and then uh i, I actually thought it was like really touching when he finally said like he wasn't doing too well and then like and she was like do you think i made a mistake and he says like yeah maybe and then they just have that moment where she's like well there's really like no getting out now and i i I thought that was a really, really great summation of kind of the whole thing thematically, because it's like that feeling of, you know, he, I think the movie, I think he says he's 33 or something, or like early 30s. And it's just that feeling of like, he went out originally with an idea of making it and then kind of just buried himself in this environment and, and just threw away these years. And he's still pursuing this thing that eventually is going to make all that worthwhile. And just while he's talking to her, he realizes that it's kind of too late for both of them. That's, yeah, that's what I, I got. I, I, I think really that's valid. That. What I didn't like was the whole scene with the piano player. I absolutely yeah. hated that scene. Yeah, hated. it just really didn't um, seem like it connected to anything else, which it was, was an issue like, across the board for me. But um yeah that was yeah i don't know because it, it 
doesn't feel like it comes back in any way and felt, I don't, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what it was trying to do, honestly. That's. I mean, I just feel like it was in a movie that at least I think in scenes that, uh, that don't feel as though they're connected to the plot, the at worst, I think both those scenes are meandering. But this scene was just like, it, it almost was like he got drunk one night and then got anxious and was like, oh God, I hope people get this movie. I'll just put this scene in to, yeah. to like tell them the theme. And I'm like, like what? There's a scene like, like that yeah. in our upcoming uh, discussion too, but we get back to this. <laughs> Yeah, it was so, I, I really, really was not a fan of that, where he was like, I make everything. I, you know, everything you've ever liked, you you know, has all come from the same place. And it's just like, that That part really felt like, I, I am so smart. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like the, the end of a lot of Black Mirror episodes where they would just monologue and tell you like what, what you were watching the whole time. And yeah, you I, got all that, of those scenes. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm is, way smarter than the audience, so I got to dumb it down for them. Yeah, but yeah, that was my least favorite scene in the entire thing. That's that, fair. I just didn't like that and the part when the camera zoomed in on that singer's um shit. That yeah, dude, that's another one of like, oh, I'm not afraid to fucking break the boundaries. It's like, come on, yeah. dude, that doesn't add anything yeah. here. It's not effective. It is effective in Okja when Okja shits towards the camera, right? Yeah, Okja is a fantastic dude. movie about shit. Fantastic. Listen to episode best one, guys. Do you want to hear our thoughts on Okja? Okja actually won the Oscar for best anus. <laughs> Just don't put shit in movies, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Just a thought. Um, yeah. Um, the ending was fine, I guess. That wasn't the ending, though. The very last scene where he goes and fucks the parrot lady, I didn't really know what to make of that. Yeah, I think... I don't know why he fucked the parrot lady because it, it felt as though the part where he cried with the homeless king felt like it was supposed to be like the end of his character arc. And then he goes and kind of just chases this like weird sexual urge thing that he's been chasing the whole time, which felt weird to me. I liked um, the parrot though. Well, you, you look like you have a point. I do. I was going to say something about the <laughs> parrot because just thinking about it now, why they would do that. I almost feel like, because there's, there's, um, there's that moment where he is fucking that girl in the very beginning and it's like watching the news and the thing comes up about um the millionaire being murdered and like yeah. i'm pretty sure that's like when he finishes and when he sees that and it's like that spark of that mystery he's like looking for something i, I was wondering yeah. if, if maybe it was a similar deal with the bird at the end it's this like tie between the thrill of of the sexual thrill and this question of well what is this bird saying and how does that so i wondered maybe it could be that idea that he doesn't learn his lesson and is going to try to dive in again and is becoming even more disconnected from reality. Um, I thought that the bird was saying Hollywood, but that it was like kind oh, of. I would hate that. Murmuring I would absolutely it. hate that. I hope not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was saying Hollywood, but it was like murmuring it. I like that. I Why? think that's, that's fun. Because it's like, I mean, I was expecting him to say, like, listen to the bird and then be like, it's saying Hollywood. Okay, but... <laughs> that's fair. At least they didn't do that. But no, I like the idea that it's like nobody can really grasp the idea of this thing that they're actually chasing. Like everyone knows that they're just chasing this thing that they think is out there, but nobody actually can see it as a tangible thing that you can empirically sense. Mm. So like every time somebody hears or, or like if you ask someone like what what would you find in Hollywood, like they wouldn't have that answer. Like they don't even like it doesn't match up for the same person or like it doesn't. It's not the same for every person. Yeah. 
What I didn't like, which also involved Hollywood, was when she, when he was having the conversation with Sarah at the end, which I loved besides this part, but she says, she says something like, things aren't so good down here or something like that. And he looks at the Hollywood sign and it shows the Hollywood sign and then it cuts back to him. And I was like, like, it's just pulling the rug out from your own, like you're just getting rid of the nuance. That annoyed me. Yeah, well, in a scene that I really enjoyed. again, I mean, this is the feeling I got about this whole movie is that this dude just thinks he's mad smart, so he has to like make it. He has to dumb it down for other people. But that's something you see a lot. I, maybe I'm just projecting again. <laughs> wait, wait. But listen, listen to this. This. So I'm, I'm gonna read a couple titles of these reviews. Oh, good. One out of ten. As awful as vomit. Negative nice. ten. That's from James Jarby. <laughs> also from James Jarby. Vomiting is better than watching this movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he like watched it twice. It was like, did I, was I too harsh? And then just hated it even more. It was like, no, still vomit. Um, almost three hours of complete insanity. Um, hold on. Good God, this is dumb. Three out of 10. Just wow. Two out of 10. <laughs> I agree with pretty much all of these. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. Life is life is precious. Do not waste it watching this. <laughs> um, it is I will, I'm not I'm going to admit it. It was a movie wow. that I finished and I thought, "Wow, I really wish I had never spent that time on this movie." <laughs> what the hell? Genius. <laughs> then I had a 10. Good, good. Mulholland Drive plus, plus yoga hosers. Now, I don't know for the people back home who don't know what Yoga Hosers is. Yoga Hosers is perhaps the worst movie I've ever oh, seen. Oh, I haven't seen that. Uh, it's by who? the guy from Clerks, the guy who made Clerks and never made a good movie after that. I don't know. I haven't seen either yeah. of those movies. He's the comedy comedy M. Night Shyamalan, okay. basically. <laughs> okay. And he, it is, it's, it's, it's so bad. It's a movie that winks at the audience so much that it feels like it's having a stroke. It's just so bad. It's just, I'm, it's weird that I actually have, have forgotten about it up until now. And then seeing the title really just actually raised my blood pressure like by <laughs> at least seven. I mean, it really is so infuriating. Just based on your description of that movie, I'd say it's probably an accurate title because it really, I think you're going to watch Mulholland Drive and you're going to like this movie way less. Because it really just like tries to take so much from it and just does it way worse. (laughs) One out of 10. This is what followed and it made me sad. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Holy shit. Nice. I love a good roast. I love a good movie critic roast. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I did enjoy it. I, my opinion may change. I, I think it would be absolutely insane to think that everything in this movie has purpose and is meaningful. I would say and helps it would be me. crazy to think that most of it does that. Yeah, I disagree with that. But I, I think anytime that this movie really, there's a threshold that this movie crosses in a lot of scenes that it crosses, especially in the piano player scene and especially in the homeless king scenes, that it just, the the surrealism just doesn't like push anything forward or or provoke any thoughts for me and it just feels like it feels like he was just having fun which is fine for him but for me yeah just don't, but I'm watching don't put it, it out it that's what i felt about most of this movie is just just, just put a bunch of fucking bullshit on the screen they'll eat it up 
just had a lot of these like wacky ideas and just tossed them all together. And it was like, I don't know. I'm a genius. They'll make meaning out of it. So Nate, what would you give this out of 10? <laughs> I think, I think I would give it, I'd give it a four out of 10. Cool. I would give it an eight out of 10. <laughs> Are you being serious right now? Yeah. I like You'd give it. it an eight. I just, yeah, just the parts I, the parts I didn't like, I really didn't like, but I think, I think if this director had someone he could bounce ideas off of that could tell him like what to shave away i think he could actually make a really good movie and that's an eight because i think yeah i think there's stuff in this movie i i think a lot of this movie works for me that's fair i just i most of my issues come when he just goes too far and again dabbles in that indie movie stuff like showing the shit or having scenes like the homeless king or or just going too overt with his commentary but I think there's a lot of fun stuff in here and, uh, you know, there's, there's subtlety in some things and then there's just an, a complete lack of subtlety in other things. But I don't know. I, I really ended up enjoying it. And I, I really enjoyed the last scene where he speaks with Sarah, but for, yeah, I, I think, I think seven and a half, two and eight, it, it, everything that the, the meandering. I mean, don't give into my peer the, pressure, Tyler. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's it can be an eight. It's, it's okay. It's difficult, I'll permit it. It's your Italian charm. It's all your gestures. It's like this 3D. I feel like I'm watching Spy Kids 3D in the theater right now. <laughs> no, I, I think just, um, I, I can't go above that just because I think the stuff, the stuff that makes it not work for me, not only makes it not work, but is sometimes hard to, it's, it pulls the other stuff down just because like when I'm enjoying some of the stuff that I do feel is smart and then something comes along that reminds me how smart the writer thinks he is. I'm like, it's like when your mom tells you to wash the dishes when you're on your way to wash the dishes. You're like, well, nothing. Now, I, now I don't want to do this. That's a <laughs> no. good way to put it. I like that. But, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give it a seven and a half to an eight. I actually really enjoyed wow. it. I think that's probably the biggest disparity we have had maybe ever. I think so. I think so. <laughs> Four point fucking difference. Can't wait for Mason to break the tie. <laughs> for the viewers at home, Mason... Oh yeah, R.I.P. You know, Too busy he was DMing. thinking about doing the show, and that he just didn't feel up to our level, and so he didn't do it. Yeah, that, that was. You it. know, we can slander him because yeah. he'll never listen to this. I showed him Citizen Kane. Uh, he cried not because it was so moving, but because he it, he couldn't understand it. <laughs> he started beating my VCR. <laughs> he tried to rip out the VHS tape because I only watch VHS tapes. Oh, of course. Laser discs are too expensive. Lower quality, the better. If I'm watching yeah, streaming, he, I do it in 144p every time. Yeah, I, I said, Mason, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. He ran a magnet over my TV. <laughs> and he said, no, it's garbage. And um, yeah, I haven't talked to him since then. So I hope he's doing well. Mm. Still a good film. Mason, send us, send us an email at talkytalkcast at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. All right. Uh, so you want to move on to Knives Out? Yeah, I mean, speaking of movies where the director writer thinks they're a smarty pants... Tyler, what did you think of this movie? Um, I I liked it. I I think for the most part where it kind of leaned into what it was and I think what for most of the time it wanted to be, it it was good. Like when it was just Clue, I enjoyed it. <laughs> and whenever it tried to do that weird thing that it tried to like comment on American politics, it got a couple eye rolls from me, I'll be honest. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um I would agree with that, but I think it was so afraid to be what it was that I didn't like it. Um, there were parts where I had, in the beginning, I had hope for it. 
even with the on the nose. I mean, he really doesn't make a commentary. I, you could argue that by the end, he's making this, arg- this, this commentary on um, wealth disparity and who deserves to be in this country. Um, doesn't say anything interesting about it, but there's a lot of other things that he just throws in there for just, just to, to give that image that he like knows what he's talking about. He, he just tried to seem too um, trendy in a way. It seemed like, okay, you know that, you know that, um, that meme that is like, hello, fellow kids. I hate to reference a meme in a conversation, <laughs> but that one, Ryan Johnson is that for liberal millennials and it works. That's how I feel about him. Cause it's just like, oh, I'm gonna hit my jewel. And um, this kid is an alt-right troll on Twitter. And yeah. like, yeah. it's just buzzwords. Like it's not, they don't explore it beyond I, Trump bad. That is most of, yeah. of the Trump Speaking, commentary. Actually, I agree Which he is, you, Trump actually, is bad, but it's been said before <laughs> in more interesting ways, you know? Listen guys, I, I think we can all say we don't like Trump here. Please, please download our podcast. <laughs> Please. Um, no, I actually, I, I really like what you just said, where I think this film is like too afraid to be one thing or the other. Whereas like, it felt like it, it was over two hours, but I feel like it could have been a little longer or could have tried to be less or could have had less characters. They could just make a better movie. Like, they could just make a whodunit. Ryan Johnson could make a whodunit. And I think I would probably yeah, love it. But he just kind of didn't hear. He really... Yeah, that's... I was really looking forward to the whodunit because that's what I thought it was. Yeah. And then when they ditch that plot, not only does it... Not only do I not feel like they pull off the shift very well because for the viewers at home who were spoiling, you find out who did it halfway through and then it turns out to be kind of like the protagonist. So then you... It switches to now this like Breaking Bad track covering situation, basically. Like she's like... How do I how do I get out of this? You know? Yeah, and it's um, not like done well though, I don't think. Like the yeah. way that she hides, well, it's weird because yeah, I think it's even earlier than halfway through, you figure out, oh, okay, she did it. Um, I mean, I knew from the start, not from the start, but from when um you start to figure out that it's her, that um the detective Blanc, for one reason or the other, is going to end up on her side a hundred percent. And then by the end, he, he says that he knew the whole time, but wasted his time investigating anyway. Well, okay, hold on. I'm jumping around here, but I liked the very, I liked his scene where he figured it out because this was the one scene that I felt like Ryan Johnson avoided. That was a moment that I felt like he was relishing and being a whodunit because leading up to that scene, like in the very, the scene before it, I think, Marta in the scene like makes a joke to him like, oh, you're not a very good detective. And he's like, oh, you're not a really good murderer. And they laugh about it. And I was like, I, that was the moment I rolled my eyes because it's like, okay, we can't even like have a cool detective in this movie. He's got to, you know, defer to the protagonist here. But then the very next scene, he does have that moment where you realize he has been investigating the whole time, basically. And mm. he puts it together and it's super satisfying. And that was a moment that I was surprised because I thought he was going one direction with it um, and make it really pandery. And I felt like he brought it back where Blanc has been laying low, but really has been putting the pieces together, got that final piece and was able to lay it all out. Yeah, I, I agree with you that actually that, I think that was probably one of my, I think that was probably my favorite part that Blanc was involved with 
because I think it also makes the way his character's been acting the whole movie more sensible, just in the way that like he's kind of been bumbling the whole time, which I assumed I was like, okay, this has to have some more payoff than like he's just actually bumbling. But I... I, I really, I mean, I thought actually Daniel Craig's acting in that scene, which is always usually good anyway, but his, uh, I actually really felt that he was struggling to figure out why someone had hired him. And he was so interested in figuring out that one little last piece of the puzzle. And yeah, it was really satisfying to watch that happen. And I agree that I think if this whole movie was comprised of Blanc deciphering and understanding things, it would have been a way better movie. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't really judge a movie based off how it is marketed, but I remember when this was originally coming out, it was very heavily marketed as a whodunit. 100%. And it was, I don't even know if the main character was in the trailer. Honestly, mm. she was at least barely in it. And uh, that's what I was looking forward to going in. And then I was a little disappointed just to find that it could have, I think it could have been interesting in the way that they were going for it. But the commentary that they ended up making her the centerpiece for with this weird commentary on the migration crisis and the US as a whole was just, it was odd that this is the way the movie decided to go. And it, it also just wasn't a strong enough transition from the the whodunit section of it into that. I feel like it really weakened the whodunit section of it because I was really excited to meet all these characters and see what their motivations were and see which ones. You know, and they set it up like that, too, because in the whole first 20 minutes or something, he's going through their alibis and figuring out what the setup for the night was. And I was like, oh, this is really I remember watching it and thinking this is really interesting to spend so much time on the setup of the alibis and I can't wait yes. to see how this pays off and it just doesn't pay off. And yep. so that 20 minute scene kind of becomes worthless. I totally agree which with is that. the character intro. I was, that whole section, I was very excited about the movie. I thought that was all great because you get little pieces of the puzzle you see them start to put it together. But then, yeah, like, like I think by probably like 10 minutes after that, you just figure it out and there's no mystery really. Like there's that underlying mystery. Okay, you don't know like who exactly hired him and then you figure it out. But the central mystery that they spent all that time on then just goes away and it feels like a waste of time. And I, I mean, I think that was his way of doing exposition, but it was, if that, if it was just purely for uh, exposition, which it seems like it was, it was way too long-winded. Like way, yeah. like I really did think it was, okay, he's going to put like little pieces in each of their conversations that we're going to come back to later in the story. And you're going to have that moment where you realize okay, it was right in front of you. And then that none of that happened. It was just a long-winded exposition section. And yeah. but and like none of the characters really boiled down to anything more than just rich assholes. So it didn't really matter anyway. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. much nuance there. That's, that's another thing is that not only is it long-winded, but it's long-winded setting up a lot of this information that doesn't even have a payoff in the end. Because yeah. these characters don't really end up mattering. It could be, it could be any number of those characters really you could have shaved off at least five of them and the movie would be the yeah. same who's the one that plays the businesswoman wife who, um, or businesswoman the daughter of the guy she she does the activia stuff for the jamie younger. lee yeah. curtis yeah, yeah 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 jamie lee curtis's character is kind of the only one who has like that arc where she there is that one rewarding moment where she figures out <laughs> thank god they've made that payoff because all her character does in the second half onward is just reference how her dad and him used to play games. Yeah. I was thinking the whole time, I was like, this better pay off, or I don't know why, why she's saying this. But then 
besides her and her little story about the adultery, there's really not a lot of payoff with nearly any of these side characters. Yeah, I agree with that. It just, that scene at the end where Blanc puts it all together was a satisfying scene, but it wasn't enough for me to justify everything else. Like all that stuff, like, yeah, it is, it does recontextualize those scenes, but they're not interesting enough in the moment for me to really think it all works together. Um, and it's just, yeah, it felt like we took a big step back from the whodunit. And going back to what you were saying about the advertising, I think you were implying this as well. I don't think it's the fact that it was advertised as a whodunit and then as a, as a way to mislead the audience a little bit, it's that that tactic didn't seem to be justified in this movie. It didn't seem to be worth it because there are movies... Yeah. Um, like Hereditary, for example, that are advertised, quote unquote, misleadingly in order to have, in, or, in order to preserve narrative impact. Um, another example is um, actually the trailer for Last of Us 2. Won't go into any detail for no one is who, for people who have not played it, but... Um, Ellie eats a bad bowl of chowder <laughs> and she turns into a clicker and then Joel the has thing. to put her down, but the only thing around is a giant clown bat because they're at a circus. So it just honks while he crushes his skull. It's devastating. It is a fantastic game. Yeah, but anyway, um, Tyra doesn't play it because he's a, a hardcore PC gamer. But anyway... <laughs> the uh, Xbox 360 port is coming soon. There's no reason to buy a PS3 right now. <laughs> you're right. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to disagree. But, and this is something Night Dog does a lot. They'll put in scenes that like literally aren't in the game, um, in the trailer. And it works. Mm. Like it's, To me, it's always justified. But this, it didn't feel like there's any purpose to it other than to be to have to to um sweeten the deal for us to come to ryan johnson's yeah. ego fest <laughs> like and i some sometimes i think uh, that's just something that unfortunately some movies have to do um in order to uh, i i saw something about this the other day that said how how a lot of sci-fi movies um no matter what they're about have to kind of brand themselves as action movies and like put whatever scene someone's holding a gun in the trailer so that people will come and see it. And I definitely have leniency on that kind of thing because I think it's just unfortunate that that's what you need to do. But yeah, but this is just <laughs> like, it, it's such a clear setup that it's supposed to, the, the, the whole first third of the movie is setting up as if it's what the trailer told you it's going to be. Yeah. Basically. Right. And obviously they didn't make the movie after the trailer, but the, it, it's still, you know, that doesn't get rid of the fact that this movie is still telling you for the first 30 to 40 minutes that it's going to be this one thing. And then when it pulls that narrative switch, the narrative that it switches to is not endearing enough or engaging enough to really make that switch feel worth yeah, it. I, because the commentary is trying to make is so shallow. That's the thing is he doesn't dig in at all. This is the feeling I had with, I think you're totally right. I think this movie, and I felt this way about The Last Jedi too. He likes to subvert expectations just to do it. Like he doesn't have something yeah. to back that up. He's not doing it because it's, he has an interesting idea to do instead of that. He just does mm. it to does it, does it to do it. <laughs> does it to do it. And to me, it's just irritating. Like it really does feel like a, a an ego fest to me because it's, always patting on itself on the back for not being what you thought it was going to be. And it spends way more time winking at you and saying, oh, you thought it was going to be that, huh? Mm -hmm. And very little time actually being what it wants to be. It can't stop yeah. looking at the camera 
to tell you that it's being subversive. It can't just do it. You know, it's got to call attention to itself over and over and over. There's so many moments in this that a character says something. I can't think of moments off the top of my head that is just like, it's this feeling of, oh, you wouldn't expect that to happen in a whodunit. You almost get this feeling that he's trying to be better than that even though the best parts of that movie are the whodunit parts. I think he does it pretty well. I actually really liked going back to um, the interviews in the beginning. I think we both liked that. I liked a lot of stuff. Even the way that was shot, I thought was really cool and edited. The editing was great because they would do a shot of one character. And they'd do a shot of the, the cop or of Blanc and then cut back. Like he'll do a response to that and cut back and it's a different character. And so it's like he's trying yeah. to weave through all of this. Yeah. I thought that was really cool and i loved the technique where oh this was super cool where when blanc was trying to trap them they would do this slow zoom in and then when they figured out the lie it would start to slowly zoom out again and i thought that worked super well i thought that was great and whenever they would acknowledge him it would then suddenly cut to blanc's perspective give you that feeling of okay he's been there the whole time this sort of unnoticed observer but he's been watching and all of that was awesome and then it seemed like none of it really mattered. And he like pulled away from that stuff that he was pulling off like really well to do this super shallow, sort of uh, arrogant social commentary that was just irritating to watch and was not fun. It was also, it was weird. It, it was a very weird decision to choose to do that and an even weirder decision to choose to do it poorly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, we'll call it a decision for sure. I actually did like the joke throughout that every single family member got her different. They thought she was from a different country. I don't think I noticed that. That's that's kind of funny. <laughs> every single person said she was from like Paraguay and then Brazil. Yeah. yeah. And Chris Everson's character said that she was from Brazil, which does, speaks Portuguese. They don't even speak Spanish in Brazil. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that is kind of funny. I mean, it, it is. Funny still a part of that super on the nose social commentary but it is super on that's kind of funny though it's yeah, a funny little at least bit. that's funny the part where she turned around to the group you know when she got all the money and she was standing on the balcony and she was like you guys really are a united fruit company i was like <laughs> all right that's a little <laughs> come hey, on now. it wouldn't uh it, it would fit you know it would fit <laughs> Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, the whole, I liked, I, I felt like towards the end when it kind of became a whodunit again with the way that Chris Evans' character became a bigger part of it, uh, then I started getting re-involved with it. And I was yeah. like, another part I actually really liked was when they were doing the car chase and the whole time I was watching it, I was like, man, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this car chase sucks. And then they get away and I was like, did they really just get away by driving like 20 miles an hour down an alleyway? And then they get immediately caught. <laughs> and then M. Blanc says that was like the worst car chase he's ever been in. Yeah. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and I, I was like, okay, that's, that's I do think that was funny too. But I, I think it fits that pattern uh, of Ryan Johnson where he'll like do something um, poorly and then call attention to it. Like that makes it good mm. then. Let's just keep the fourth wall in place, guys. Let's just keep it there. Oof. It's there for a reason. No, man. It's all about subverting expectations and winking. Dude. A lot of winking, but... I got... Yeah. And I won't say that this movie was anywhere close to this level of fucking terrible, but got a little bit of Deadpool vibes from that. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Let us know what you think of Deadpool, guys. 
Uh, send us an email at talkytalkcast.gmail or at gmail.com. I'm just trying to get an argument with somebody. That's all it is. I feel like we agree too much, Tyler. Um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, I feel like there's not too much to say about no. this movie. Honestly. The theme of this movie to me is Ryan Johnson is really smart for making Knives Out. I think that's the theme for me. Yeah. Oh, Deadpool. I was going to talk about Deadpool. Um, Good movie. I've only seen Great Deadpool movie. 2. I don't imagine the first one's any better or if it is it's probably marginally because i've heard from some people with deadpool 2 that what they didn't like is that they they tried to bring a serious plot in and the humor um wasn't always present i probably hated it most when the humor was was present it's just so like it's just not funny to do something and then point at it and have that be the joke I've always considered both Deadpools to be like if Watchmen was funny. Is this a, is this a that. real thing? I'll just say that. Is this a I'll real thing? That. No, it's not. If, if Watchmen <laughs> was entertaining and had comedic bits, then it would be Deadpool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to bite that, uh, that bait there. But on the, on the plus yeah. side, Knives Out didn't have Ryan Reynolds in it. So it's got that going for it. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like everything... I don't know. Knives Out, I would say it didn't even feel fluffy because it didn't feel like there was too much in it, but it felt as meandering as something that had a lot of fluff. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It was altogether just so surface level that it sort of all felt like fluff. It's just a fluffy movie. Yeah, and I feel it didn't, it it totally lost me. The the parts that it had me at were the parts where it was actually a mystery. Absolutely. where we're like, we're trying to figure out what Chris Evans's character is up to. And when we're trying to figure out in the beginning what everyone's up to. And the part where we're, the part after we figure out what actually happened that night, we're just watching Daniel Craig's character piece together things that we already know. So we're- I'm sorry, at what point? After we know what happened, you know, and we figure out her whole um, escapade with with the, what happened that night. Oh, okay. Uh, Like the earlier, in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And then after that, we're watching Daniel Craig figure out stuff that we as an audience are already aware of. Yes, and that's... So we're kind of just getting the same information twice. Yeah. And it's supposed to be this thriller-like thing where she's muddying the waters, but in the end, it just kind of feels as though we're retracing the same steps that we just... Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's such a big part of any movie with a mystery. That's one reason, that's one of many reasons that I liked Chinatown so much is that you figure it out as he figures it out. And yeah. you're pretty much right in step with him. And this, yeah, it was more, they just gave, they just handed the mystery to you. It would have been much more interesting if we didn't, even if they just kept everything else the same and they didn't show us that she did it, it could have still worked. Like make, make the way that she's covering her tracks less obvious and maybe he figures that out and we're figuring that, that out as we go. Like it still wouldn't have been great, but it would have been better, I think. Yeah, also... <laughs> Kind of a weird, I mean, this might just be, you know, me being biased because I myself am a wasp. But <laughs> I, I, Trillionaire, I'll for be, those who I, don't know. I was kind of like, I was a little annoyed that this movie was kind of um, holding up the actions of the dad to be kind of noble. When it's just like, okay, if it, Chris Evans' character maybe didn't deserve his will, but it's like how is it that you missed your shot at raising like five kids effectively and then you just still blame all of them? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can see that. I can <laughs> like, see that. Clearly, if he's O for five, he's just a bad parent. <laughs> it's, there's no- Could be. I mean, maybe 
you could view it as like sort of like a last redemption for him or something. Like he knows that he hasn't. Um, maybe I, I see what you're saying though. That made me think of something though that I did like um, is when we get that flashback scene where they're playing um, Go and she gives him the injection and she's like, "You got 15 minutes before it kills you," and he's just completely coherent the whole time. I was just thinking like, that's not a fucking overdose looks like. Like he like almost immediately like start losing consciousness and like at the very least would be soaring out of his fucking mind for a couple minutes. Like yeah. the death part would come after, you know, the 15 minutes of, of fucking going out, in and out of consciousness, all that shit. But then yeah. later it was confirmed that she didn't give him the overdose and they didn't call too much attention to that either. They didn't, he could have totally, and I would have... I wasn't expected it from him to have her be like, oh, so that's why he was still able to talk to me. But they did. It just sort of explained this thing that felt like a mistake, yeah. but really did work into the mystery. That's a good piece of it. That's a, that's a good little piece. There's potential. Ryan Johnson could make a good whodunit, I think, if he just got out of his ass. I, I also was just weirded out by the part where Daniel Craig was like, you, you gave him the wrong injection because you're a really good nurse. Yeah. And it's just like, well, on because <laughs> she didn't check the label. So just rip the labels <laughs> yeah. off. Look at the fucking viscosity of the two liquids. That's how you give dangerous drugs to patients. You deep dial that he it had the right uh it had the right feel to it it's yeah like, that made me roll my eyes too it's like no yeah, like let let her fuck up you know let let her what have because i said what is he a shaman yeah right that and that's the other thing about that scene is it completely took any culpability or failure away from her anytime yeah. there was a moment yeah, i was she, like oh it's like oh yeah she fucked up with the injection like there's there's there would be guilt there, but he was willing to forgive her. That's more interesting than, oh, it just wasn't her fault at all. Yeah. And that, yeah, that bothered me. That bothered me. That yeah. she's just scot-free by the end. Yeah. Not only, well, I, not only scot-free in terms of, you know, legality within the movie, but also scot-free in terms of the movie. The movie is like, yeah, you should just naively be nice and like, you know, let bad people take advantage of you because as long as there are really smart detectives around, you'll be fine. <laughs> kind of, kind of, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Even more so than that though, it, it, it feels a little cheap to have a protagonist and you just sort of take their losses out at the end. And yeah. then, because it's not like I felt or I think anybody who watches it would feel like, oh, she's such a terrible, awful person for fucking up. It's more so like, no, that's something she has to like deal with. And he was able to forgive her for that. And then it just takes any of that away. And it just makes for a less, less interesting character, I think. And makes it feel yeah. more contrived. Yeah, the, oh, you were a really good nurse part. Just, oh, it's just like, come on. Yeah, because that's what's on her mind now. Yeah. Is whether or not she's a good nurse. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't your fault. And it would never be your fault because you're so good. It's just, yeah, that, yeah, too much. It's too much. Yeah. So Nate, what would you give Knives Out? I initially, I thought I'd give it a four and then I watched Under the, Sil the Silver Lake. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give this a five. Like it wasn't a perfectly mediocre movie, but I felt like it did some things really well and had potential, but overall failed. Um, yeah, I think I'd give it a five and a half to a six. Yeah. It, um, you know, there were enough interesting, there was enough stuff that kept me engaged and kind of smirking throughout that I still enjoyed it. Um, but the, it, almost everything that worked in it worked 
in a way that I just had kind of seen done before. Like there was that line that um the writer guy um the the murder victim suicide victim says where he's like a fool can't tell the difference between a prop knife and a real knife and i was like oh that's gonna come back yeah (laughs) it came back and i think that's a lot of this movie is that i think the reason why even though i enjoyed a lot of a good amount of aspects of it it's just that those aspects kind of played their note and then left the movie yeah there wasn't a lot of reincorporation. There wasn't a lot of layers to it. It was just kind of like, you know, things, things, some things worked, but they never worked beyond a certain extent for me. And then the stuff that didn't work really made it not work. So yeah. 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 It was just very surface level. Um, and I would have much preferred a surface level whodunit to a surface level social yeah. commentary because like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like who done it can just be fun and that's okay. But yeah. When you really you really miss the mark if you try to say something and you, you don't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. So very yeah. uh mediocre to bad week, <laughs> I would say. Uh I watched 2001 sure. this week though, so it's a good week. I like that movie. I hadn't seen it. We've already talked with this Tyler, but I'm talking to our fans at home. Hey Derek. Um I watched that movie for the first time since I was like 13, probably, and I loved it. It's a good one. I know I'm getting controversial here, but I think 2001 Space Odyssey is a good movie. Send, send me an email at yeah. talkytalkcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Cool. All, All right. right. So for next week, um, do you have something selected, Tyler? I do. Uh, I chose the, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm assuming because it only makes sense, critically acclaimed, um, I believe, 2019 flick starring Shia LaBeouf. Honey Boy. Mm. It is the it is the partially autobiographical story of Shia LaBeouf himself, where Shia LaBeouf plays the character inspired by Shia LaBeouf's dad. So I'm excited. <laughs> I think I I think it'll be uh, an entertaining experience. I think so. I think one way or the other, it'll be entertaining. I've heard people people um, we know like it a lot. So we'll see. I think I it could be good. About it. I think. Pretty much everybody who saw it that I know liked it. So we'll see about that. I, I'm, I'm excited. I've been meaning to watch that one, actually. Cool. That's a good choice. Um, have you seen Clue? I have not. Let's watch Clue because I watched this movie. I watched Knives Out and I thought, I want to watch an actual whodunit. So let's watch Clue. Cool. All right. And both these are free with, uh, these are pri- free with our Prime membership. So. Yeah, guys. So support Thanks, Amazon. Um, please, please support us. We just, we just try to hype up the little guys, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening guys. I hope, um, you didn't watch these movies this week. uh, You don't have to, but I hope you watch next week's movies. Hope things didn't get too heated with our disagreements. Just let us know. Send us a Gmail. Yeah. if, If you can hear us yelling in the other room and reruns of your favorite show, can't drown it out. Just tell us. Just let us know. We always listen to our fans. Thanks, Derek. Well, kisses. All right, we kisses we love from- we love our. <laughs> never mind. I was gonna make a joke. You know how like YouTubers do the things, the thing where they're like, "Oh, welcome back, my bros." Like, what's what's fuck's his name? PewDiePie. It's like they have a little catchphrase for their fans. I was gonna make that joke, but I couldn't even bring oh. myself to say it as a joke. So you're just above it. You're just Ryan Johnson. I'm just way better. Among all the I am. Um, <laughs> we should call our our friends. Our little Ryans. And we lost Derek <laughs> with that one. So we're back to zero. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. All right.